You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. If this is your very first time at Mountain View, welcome. Uh, We're so glad you're here. Uh, If you would just take one of those connection cards out of the seat back in front of you, and fill that out for us. You don't have to give us your social security number or your bank account number or anything like that. Um, just let us know that you were here today, that you've worshiped with us. And if you'll hold on to it and uh, give it to somebody outside this morning, they'll give you a gift bag in exchange for that. Just a very small way uh, that we can say thank you uh, for being here today. And we do hope this service um, is a true benefit and blessing to you. Now, At the end of the service this morning, uh, someone out in the lobby is going to hand each and every one of you, if you don't already have a copy, a copy of this book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, It would be no exaggeration to say that this is one of the best books I've ever read. Essentially, write the book as a meditation of Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where Jesus reveals his own heart to us and invites us there to come to him for rest because he is gentle and lowly of heart. And so we've got enough copies to give everyone in the church one. And I want to invite you to come on Wednesday nights beginning June 1st. And this summer, we're going to spend this uh, the next few months reflecting on and talking about and uh, getting to know Christ better as we read this book together as a church. Now, again, if you already have a copy, please don't take one. We do have a reading schedule for you. And if you've already got a copy of the book, just tell someone in the lobby and they'll give you a copy of the reading schedule so you can follow along. June 1st uh, will be the first time we meet right here in this room. And there'll be a time of like large group teaching. We'll do some uh, breakup discussion time in groups of men and women. And we'll spend some time in prayer reflecting before the Lord on what we learn together. So I hope you'll come. I hope you'll be part of that. I do think you'll be deeply encouraged. Um, As I said, this is probably one of the best books I've ever read. And I've given tons of copies of it away and would like to give you one today as well. So, individual people have all kinds of strategies for remembering things. And look, you know as well as I do that there is no shortage of people willing to offer you advice on strengthening your ability to remember stuff. From converting words into pictures, to using rhymes, to associating certain places with things that you want to recall, to writing things on your head or your hand or a sticky note. There may be as many strategies for remembering things as there are people. Now, for most of us, remember, no matter the strategy, because if you're anything like me, you and I won't get things done if we don't remember to do them. But is that the only reason that remembering matters? 
Remembering matters to family. We keep pictures on our phones because we want to remember and, in a sense, relive those special moments in our lives. Many families gather yearly for family reunions that include activities that often only make sense to the people in those families. Those activities help them to remember oftentimes where they came from and who they are. Remembering matters to communities, both small communities and large communities. Memorial Day is next weekend, and Independence Day is in July, and many of us, we associate particular rituals with those holidays and with others. Rituals that ultimately enable us to remember things like those who have given their lives in defense of our freedoms or to remember what it means collectively to be Americans. According to the scriptures, remembering matters to God. And remembering ought to matter to God's people. You see, when we forget to remember that God redeemed us from death and from slavery to sin in order that we might be his servants. We forget then what it means to live as the people of God. When we forget who we are and we forget where we've come from and we forget what God has done for us, when we forget the past, we forget how to live in the present. We are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. And in order to live like it, we must remember that God has freed us. That we might now live for His glory. This is why God insists in Exodus chapters 12 and 13, that his newly liberated people reenact the Passover year after year after year. In order to live as God's people, they needed to be reminded and to be reminded regularly, in fact, annually, how they became God's people. And this is why God tells his people through his servant Moses in Exodus 13:3 Remember this day in which you came from came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place Father today as we examine this verse and the context surrounding it, as we look at, Lord, your liberating power and how that liberating power ought to connect to our present lives, God, I pray that you would help us not only to understand what these words mean, but what it means to be characters in your story, to, in fact, be restoried by remembering 
what you've done for us and who we are as a result. Lord, be with us now as we journey through your word. Teach us. Change us. Comfort and confront us with your presence. And Father, may we be different when we're done than we were when we walked through the doors this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31 through chapter 13, verse 16. But everything I want to talk about this morning and the way that I want to approach this lengthy text is through chapter 13, verse 3. In fact, throughout those two chapters, verses 12 and 13, God's people hear the call over and over and over again to take the things that God has shown them and called them to do on the first night of Passover and to essentially reenact and repeat them across the generations every year beginning with this first Passover so that they remember who they are and so that they ultimately remember how they're to live as a result. So we just want to ask some questions this morning and let the text kind of shape the answers. So the first question is this, what does it mean to remember? What does it mean to remember? Throughout those two chapters, chapters 12 and 13, remembering for the people of God was more than mental recall. What we're really talking about is essentially reenactment. So the Lord passed over the people of God one time. However, the people of God, according to Exodus chapters 12 and 13, were to reenact that Passover, the events of that night, throughout every generation for the purpose of remembering what God had done to rescue them. Now the way that the text reads, it's really interesting because it essentially interrupts the unfolding story of Exodus to tell us and to remind the people of God, hey, this is not just a one-time event. Though it is a one-time event, you're intended to recall and reenact this every year. So over and over again, we're told in Exodus chapters 12 and 13 that the children of Israel were thrust out of the land of Egypt or that Yahweh brought them out of the land. You can look in verse 33 of Exodus 12, and it says the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders. And they did just as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the people, the Lord get, had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And as you continue to read, you hear over and over again that the Egyptians thrust them out or that the Lord brought them out. The point being, this people who had been slaves in Egypt for some 400 years were no longer slaves in Egypt. This doesn't mean, though, that they are free to do whatever they want. Now they belong to whom? To Yahweh. 
So, chapter 12 says, in fact, at the very beginning of chapter 12, that during the first month of the year, they were to remember this defining moment by reenacting the events of that night, by killing and roasting and eating a lamb, by putting its blood on the doorposts of their homes, by breaking and by baking and eating and breaking unleavened bread. You see, eating this meal, they were to do it fully dressed and fully ready to travel due to the haste with which the original people of God had to leave Egypt. Now, when God tells them to reenact these events, why all the pomp and circumstance? Why? Why reenact it versus simply recalling it to memory? Now hear me. It's because the exodus from Egypt was not just meant to define the first generation of the children of Israel. The exodus from Egypt was meant to define the people of God down through the generations. It was intended to define the very story of God's people down through the ages. Now this is why you and I, we continue to come to the Lord's table rather than simply reminisce about the first time Jesus shared a final Passover meal with his disciples before he died. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 19 with me. Very, very clear in the Gospel of Luke in particular that Luke wants us to make the connection between Passover and what the Lord Jesus is doing at this table with his disciples. He, in fact, draws our attention there multiple times in Luke chapter 22. And I want you to, I want you to pay careful attention to what he says in Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, or rather what Jesus said. And he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, just like the the children of Israel were to reenact the Passover meal across the generations, so that all the people of God might come to see themselves as part of that story, you and I, we come to the Lord's table, we do this in remembrance of Christ, not just for the purpose of mental recall, but so that you and I recognize that their story, the first disciples' story, is our story. That's why we do more. Than, than simply read about the moment that Jesus redefined the Passover around himself. We actually participate in it. We reenact what happened at that meal. And we do so in order to actively remember that in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, 
God did not just pass over a people in general. He passed over us. He passed over me. He forgave us. He cleansed us of our sin and set us free to serve Him. Look, we, we do this rather than simply recall this because we're more than brains on sticks. We are more than just information receivers. You and I are participants. We're participants in the greater exodus that Jesus led through his liberating death and resurrection. So as the Bible makes the direct connection between what happens in Exodus 12 and 13 to the Passover meal and how Jesus redefines it, you and I eat and drink at the table of the Lord, signifying that the body of the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb have purchased our salvation. And you and I have been redeemed into God's family and into God's service out of our empty way of life. You see, to remember, to remember in the kingdom of God is to enter into the story. To remember in the kingdom of God is to share the Passover with the risen Lord Jesus through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And to be reminded every time we do that sin's mastery over us has been broken and that death's hold on us has been broken. In other words, as I've written in your notes, to remember in the kingdom of God is to recognize that you and I are characters in God's story. We aren't just passive recipients of information. We are people who have been purchased, who have been bought, who belong now to God because of what the Lamb of God has done for us. This is why God tells his people, beginning right here in Exodus 13.3, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Now why should we remember? Why? Well, like the children of Israel, you and I, we are always in danger of forgetting. Someone once said that the entire sad history of Israel is the history of a forgetful people. And I think that pretty much sums it up. We're in danger of forgetting who we are as the redeemed people of God, the people of God who have been set apart for service to the king. We're in danger of forgetting who God is. We're in danger of forgetting the one who liberated us, who set us free for his 
servant. Look, Exodus chapters 12 and 13 tell the story of of how Yahweh broke Pharaoh's will with an outstretched arm. Those two chapters tell the story that we just read of how God compelled the Egyptians to overfill the arms of his people with gold and with silver so that they might leave the land not with nothing, but, man, blessed by God's gracious abundance. God defeated and humiliated the so-called gods of Egypt. He showed them to be less than nothing. He brought them out of the house of slavery, as Exodus 13.3 says. And yet, within a matter of weeks, and I'm being serious about that, it's only weeks, as we will see soon enough, that the people of God forget all of this. Oh God, why did you bring us out here to die? That's what they say. They bring that complaint to Moses. Now God graciously provides for them in the wilderness because as I've said before, it's going to take a lot longer to get the slave out of them than it took God to get them out of slavery. Are we any different? There is a right answer to that. (laughs) No, we are not. You see, remembering is a means of returning to God. That's what Exodus 13.3 says. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery for by a strong hand, Yahweh, Yahweh and no one else brought you out from this place. Remembering is a means of returning to God. It it actually provides us the opportunity to rehearse God's mighty power, to remember that there is no God like him, and then to respond to him accordingly. I want you to look at a passage that illustrates this. Turn with me to Psalm 105. This, um, This psalm from the beginning of this Exodus series has kind of been a It's kind of been a theme passage for me personally. And um, I return to it over and over to to kind of remember what it is we're doing as we walk through this particular book of the Bible. But in verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 105, there are 10 commands, followed by an 11th, which I want you to see is very particular in the text. So follow along with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises. Tell all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord. Seek his strength. Seek his presence continually. Now, how is it that you and I go about obeying these commands, which essentially summarize the entirety of life with God? How does verse 5 begin? 
Remember. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Now, if you look ahead through that lengthy psalm, what does the rest of the psalm do until the last three verses? Tells the story of what God did in choosing this people Israel, in bringing them into Egypt, in raising them up and growing them, and in rescuing them from slavery. You and I, we cannot, we will not obey unless we remember, unless we go back to what it is that God has done for us. Our failure to obey, in fact, is often rooted in our failure to remember. Second, we're in danger of forgetting the price paid for our redemption. Now, this is why families, this is why families were required year in and year out to sacrifice and eat a firstborn lamb during the first month of every year. This is why they were required to place its blood on the doorposts of their homes. Now, I want you to get this. This would have been an incredibly tangible, tasteable, visceral experience for families. Okay? Imagine growing up in a household where at the beginning of every year, your father takes one of the best from the flock, whether a sheep or a goat, and you watch him slit its neck, you watch him drain it of blood, you watch the life leave this thing, you watch your father skin it and cook it and you eat it. Folks, most of us, we are, we are so far removed from the production of our food that we rarely think about the fact that those Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets came from a living thing. Right? That something had to die so you could live. Now, not all of you are that far removed. Some of you have seen animals killed. Some of you have hunted. Some of you have slaughtered cattle and pigs and chickens. Look, God intended for his people from childhood to be under no illusions about the cost of their redemption. None. On the night that the Lord passed through Egypt in judgment, a lamb had to die so that the firstborn in each house could be spared from death. Folks, when you and I come to the Lord's table, which, which is honestly the most direct connection to make here, how often when we eat the bread and drink the cup do we remember the price pay for our redemption? That the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world had to die so that you and I might live. When we forget to remember, we're also in danger of forgetting the purpose 
of our redemption. Remember Psalm 105? The beginning says that we're to remember. Now listen to what the end of the psalm says. Verses 43 to 45. So, he brought his people out with joy. The exact event we're talking about here. His chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil. Why? This is essential that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Folks, when you and I are freed by God from death and from sin, we are not freed to do our own thing. We are freed from slavery to sin into slavery to righteousness. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. The Israelites once belonged to Pharaoh, now they belong to God. They were once slaves of Pharaoh, they are now slaves of Yahweh. That's exactly what the book of Exodus Exodus chapter 4, 21 through 23. Let my people go that they may what? Do you know? Serve me. Did you know that's the exact same word that's used to talk about how they were enslaved to Pharaoh? You and I are set free to serve. It's exactly what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. God desired that his people remember their liberation from Egypt through a substitutionary sacrifice because through that substitutionary sacrifice God ransomed them. He bought them out of slavery. And having bought them out of slavery, they now belong to him. And remembering that was meant to fuel their faithfulness. To him. Now we're also in danger as well of forfeiting our responsibility to invite the next generation into this story. I want you to look back at Exodus chapters 12 and 13. Three times in these chapters, the people of God are told to be prepared. When your children come and ask you questions about why it is we do this. Three times related to three different ways the people of God were to commemorate the events of Passover night. So look at Exodus 12, verse 26. <clears throat> and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? 
You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. So you're a family. You're, you're sacrificing a lamb or a baby goat at the beginning of every year. Your children ask you, why do we do this? You're to tell them that it is the Lord's Passover. That we do this to remember how on that night God passed over his people. In other words, we do this to remember that God liberated us from death. That's what the text says. Secondly, look over at, a, at Exodus chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Now this is related to, okay, why do we eat unleavened bread? You shall tell your son on this day that it is because of what the Lord did for me. Notice, notice how personalized it is. For me. This is what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Why? For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time year to year. Now, now God never did anything willy-nilly, Okay. So when he called his people every year in the first month of the year on the 14th day of the month to sacrifice a lamb and to reenact the Passover and he called parents to be prepared to tell the story of God's salvation from death through that lamb, the use of unleavened bread always reminded the people of the haste with which they had to leave Egypt. In other words, when God liberated them from slavery, buddy, he liberated them from slavery. And so the unleavened bread was always a reminder, not only that God had liberated them from death, but that he had liberated them from slavery. And then finally, in Exodus 13, verses 14 and 15. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, again, listen to the words, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Now, this passage is talking about how during the celebration of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were not only to take an animal and kill it for sacrifice, they would have taken an animal and kill it for, to symbolize the redemption of the firstborn among their animals and their sons. Why? Because on the night of the Passover, God took the lives of all the Egyptian firstborn, but through the giving of a sacrificial lamb, he redeemed or bought the firstborn in the household of Israel. And so that's a picture of how through the Passover, God took his people and made them his own, his prized possession. And his people, through redeeming the firstborn in their own households, were always to remember that they belonged to the Lord. Again, that they were no longer slaves, but sons and daughters. 
Now, parents, I want you to listen to me for just a second. Next Sunday is Family Sunday. And you and I are going to be celebrating the Lord's table together. And whenever you and I celebrate the Lord's table, you and I have a wonderful opportunity to reenact with our children that final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples and to explain to them why we do this. Now you can do that whether or not your children have accepted the Lord Jesus as their king. They should take it if they have not. But here's what I would invite you to do. When we celebrate the Lord's table next Sunday and we all come up front and we receive the bread and the cup, take your children by the hand, bring them with you. Let them see you take the bread. Let them see you take the cup. And then explain it to them. This is why we do this. Children are such concrete thinkers sometimes. And pictures help. Frankly, pictures don't only help them, they help me. I'm a visual learner. Now, we also have everyday opportunities, parents, to to live into God's story and to share its implications with our kids, to teach them what it means to relate to other people as disciples of Jesus, what it means to conduct ourselves with integrity as disciples of Jesus, what it means to make decisions as disciples of Jesus, what it means to talk like disciples of Jesus, ultimately what it means to live out this reality that as a people, you and I have been set free from slavery to sin and from the penalty of death. And we've been bought and purchased. And we are now God's chosen possession that we might live in obedience to Christ. So what do we remember? Why do we remember? And then how? How do we do that? I think Exodus chapters 12 and 13, as you read through them, it gives us some clues. Number one, we come to the table together. Now look, look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have what? Circumcised them. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be what? Circumcised. That that he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no what? Uncircumcised 
person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Now, in this particular portion of our text, instructions are given for redeemed slaves who would participate in the Passover and for foreigners and outsiders who would like to participate. In both cases, a particular instruction is given. If someone would like to participate, that person, that male, must be circumcised so as to become part of the covenant community. The celebration of Passover was for the covenant people of God to share together so that they might be reminded of their shared story and their shared identity. When you and I, when we come together to remember the death of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we are also doing so as a covenant community. In other words, the way that you come to the table is by having a heart circumcised by the Holy Spirit. By having that hard heart of sin transplanted, taken out, and replaced by a heart of flesh. Through the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who cleanses us of sin. He's the one through whom we are made alive. Through Christ we are united to God and we are united to one another. We are one body and we share in his blood as our Savior. This is why together, collectively, we come to the table of the Lord because we are a new people. No longer slaves, but now sons and daughters. We also come regularly. Now, the rhythm of remembrance was built into Israel's calendar. God tells them at the beginning of chapter 12 that they are to do this every year. In fact, he completely redefines their entire calendar around this event. The year begins by remembering the fact that you've been liberated from slavery. That's really cool. The rhythm of remembrance was meant for the people to be reminded yearly. And so for one week out of the first month of the year, they celebrated the Passover and continued with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For an entire week, they remembered what God had done for them, which is depicted in Exodus 12 and 13. Now, remembering isn't necessarily built into our calendar, okay? I would argue that it it should be more. Why? Because we forget. We leak. In fact, I would argue that we need to remember more and not less. Our Our remembrance, it must be intentional. It must be regular. And then finally... We come to the table with our lives. If you look back at the last part of our text, chapter 13, verse 11, 
These are the instructions that God gives. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. What's the point? When God redeems his people out of slavery, he is to come what? First. You don't keep the best for yourself and give the leftovers to your liberating king. He gets first dibs. He gets the best. When you and I come to the Lord's table, when we, when we remember what God has done for us, the point is that you and I are to connect the dots between what God has done and now what we are to give Him. God has given much to redeem you and I from slavery. What does he expect in return? There's a right answer to this question too. Everything. Everything. Every year, in order to celebrate their deliverance, families had to sacrifice a firstborn lamb without blemish, a prized specimen. They had to get rid of all the leaven in their homes. And once they entered the promised land, right here in this text, the Lord instructed them to make sacrifices to redeem the firstborn in their households, both animals and sons. In other words, redemption required response. And a sacrificial one at that. This is exactly why Paul says what he does in Romans 12, 1 and 2. The, the, the dots connect across these passages perfectly. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the fact that God has liberated you from death and slavery to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, expel Egypt from your thinking and your living. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What does the text say? Because of what God's done for you, now present yourself as a living sacrifice. Jesus, because you've given everything for me, I offer everything to you. Friends, if you and I would remember everything God has done for us with more intentionality, I think we would more gladly offer up our lives to him. You see, when we forget to remember 
our faith grows weak. When we forget to remember, we fail to obey. And we fail to obey because we forget where we've come from and we forget who we are. Disobedience is often an identity problem before it's anything. It often goes back. Set them free for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen.